الحمد لله الحمد لله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأشهد أن محمدا رسول الله إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما All praise and all thanks are to God the one the exalted the supreme I bear witness that there is no god but him and that prophet Muhammad may the peace and blessings of God be upon him is his prophet and his messenger Today many of you may have heard that our esteemed district attorney Jackie Lacey will be with us at 1:30 So I thought that this would be a good chance in a brief khutbah to just begin touching upon Islam's justice tradition I do this for a lot of reasons I'm old and I've seen a lot I remember a lot I remember when Ben Carson launched his presidential campaign and said that a Muslim can't be president because Islam is not consistent with the principles of the Constitution. We all remember President Trump's Muslim registry, surveillance of mosques, travel ban. Some of us remember Harvard professor Samuel Huntington's defining paper that became a cornerstone of US foreign policy the clash of civilizations that the western world and the muslim world are culturally incompatible in 2010 a time magazine poll showed that 28% of voters did not believe that muslims should be eligible to sit on the US supreme court because we have no understanding of constitutional principles even though this directly violates the constitution that states that there would be no religious litmus test for holding office in this country so i thought what better opportunity than to touch on islam's justice tradition to try to i don't want to say correct this implicit bias because this isn't implicit bias this is about as explicit as it gets So I want to begin with the first half of verse 25 of Surah Al-Hadid Surah 57 A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim Laqad arsalna rusulana bil bayyinati wa anzalna ma'ahumul kitaba wal mizana liyaquma an-nasu bil qist We have sent our messengers with clear evidence and sent with them the scripture and the balance so that people may maintain their affairs in justice so the quran is telling us that the reason for the laws the religious laws what was revealed in the scripture of course man's responsibility to god the creator but when it comes to man's responsibility to his fellow man that the prime directive is justice and this was clear in the minds of the muslim jurists so we see the medieval the great medieval jurist ibn al-qayyim al-jawziyah who said fa inna allah fa inna allah subhanahu arsala rusulahu wa anzala kutubahu liyaquma an-nas bil-qist that god exalted is he sent his messengers and revealed his books so that people may behave with justice and equity 
And it is justice upon which rests the heavens and the earth. And so, if the signs of justice are there, and it shines forth from any path, therein is the law of God, and therein is his religion, and therein is his pleasure, and therein is his will. So that in any path that you find justice, that immediately implies that this must be God's will and God's law and the way to God's pleasure. And we see the Quran telling us, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا كونوا قوامين لله شهداء بالقسط O you who have attained to faith, be ever steadfast in your devotion of God, bearing witness to truth and justice and all equity. ولا يجرمنكم شنان قوم على ألا تعدلوا اعدلوا هو أقرب للتقوى واتقوا الله إن الله خبير بما تعملون and do not let the hatred of a people, the hatred of a people toward you, their injustice toward you, swerve you away from justice, lead you into the sin of deviating from justice. Be just. That is the closest thing to God consciousness. And remain conscious of God. Verily, God is aware of all that you do. And in Surah An-Nisa, يا أيها الذين آمنوا كونوا قوامين بالقسط شهداء لله O you who believe Be steadfast in upholding justice Bearing witness to the truth for the sake of God ولو على أنفسكم أو الوالدين والأقربين إن يكن غنيا أو فقيرا Even if it be against yourselves Bear witness to the truth even if it is against yourselves or your parents, or your close kin, whether the party concerned be rich or poor. God's claim takes precedence over the claim of any of them. It takes precedence over my claim to myself, my claim to my father, my claim to my kinfolks. My claim to someone who is rich and powerful. It doesn't matter if they are rich or poor. There is no selective justice. There's no standard for white people and a different standard for non-white people. There's no standard for rich people and a different standard for poor people. There's no standard for my kin and a different standard for anyone else. It is not an adversarial system that let's see what I can get away with. I am commanded to uphold justice and to bear witness to the truth even against myself and my own family. And so we say, well, that's wonderful. These are ideals. But what about the practice? Well, what about the practice? Let's look at the message that the great jurist Abu Yusuf who died in the 8th century. And I want us to compare and keep very close track. I am talking about the 8th century. Think about what Europe was like 
500 years after that or 800 years after that. Kings and nobles and lords and serfs and peasants. And think, did a serf or a peasant or an ordinary person have rights against the nobles or against the king? So he writes to the Khalifa Harun al-Rashid and he tells him, فَمُرُوا لَا تَكَجَمِيعًا بِالنَّظَرْ فِي أَمْرِ أَهْلِ الْحُبُوسِ Tell your officers to look into the situation of those who are being held in custody في كل أيام, every day, on a daily basis. فَمَنْ كَانَ عَلَيْهِ أَدَبٌ أُدِّبَ وَأُطْلِقُ وَمَنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ قَضِيَّةٌ خُلِّيَ عَنْهُ So whoever has a punishment that needs to be meted to him, he should be punished and released. And whoever, there is no case against him, let him go. What is this other than what we have come to know nearly a thousand years later, in 1679, when the Habeas Corpus Act finally entered British common law? This is habeas corpus. Your right to a speedy trial, your right to know the charges against you. You do not get held without charges. And you have the right to appear quickly before a judge, especially if there is no case, so that it can be determined that if there is no case against you, you are released. And this was Islamic jurisprudence in the 8th century. And I still remember when presidential candidate Barack Obama campaigned on the promise that first day in office he was going to shut down Guantanamo because Guantanamo violated these principles that we hold so dear. And he was elected and I waited the first day and the first week and the first year and the first term and the second term and it never got shut down. So why pointing fingers that Muslims do not have a sense or an understanding of justice. The Prophet, peace be upon him, was very clear. That the ruler, if he makes a mistake in pardoning someone, that is better than making a mistake in punishing someone. If there is any reasonable doubt you let the person go. And these were the Islamic standards. So I'm not telling you that these were pie-in-the-sky ideals. We see Umar ibn al-Khattab when he was the Khalifa, the leader of the Muslim nation, which by then was the second great power in the world, pushing back the Persian Empire, pushing back the Byzantine Empire. And Omar ibn al-Khattab was taken to court by an ordinary citizen, Ubay ibn Ka'b. And the judge was Zayd ibn Thabit. So think about this. A citizen could take the ruler of this now great power to court. And they went into the court of Zayd ibn Thabit. And Umar ibn al-Khattab was supposed to swear an oath. You know, like the oath we take today for truthfulness. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. But Umar's title was commander of the faithful. And Zayd ibn Thabit was shy to ask the commander of the faithful to swear that he would tell the truth. So he wanted to forego the oath. And Umar ibn al-Khattab told him, if Umar ibn al-Khattab and any other man are not equal 
in your eyes, in your court, you are not fit to be a judge. This was the, the standard. And we see our great jurist, Ibn Hazm, in his, in his monumental work of jurisprudence, the Muhalla. He had principles that were more progressive than ours today. We see the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution, that there would be no double jeopardy, that you would not be punished, you wouldn't be compelled to be a witness against yourself or deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. What did Ibn Hazm say in issue 2173 of the thousands of issues he dealt with? He said, torture of any suspect is forbidden even if it is done to force disclosure of the truth about any crime. And we think about Guantanamo and we think about Abu Ghraib and we say, where is this? He said that any punishment of a suspect should be executed only after full investigation and if firm evidence is established by qualified witnesses, any uncertainty regarding guilt must stop execution of the punishment. So any reasonable doubt, no punishment. And he even said that what we do today, putting a suspect in jail to await trial, he said this is unlawful because you are already imposing a punishment on a person, depriving them of liberty, when you have no proof of guilt. So this was the standard of Islamic justice. It wasn't just ideals. This is what happened before we lost our way. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the power to remember and to be guided to what should be Allah. الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله I want to end this khutbah with the story of someone who really should be known as a pioneer to humanity. We all who've grown up here and learned here, we memorize and we respect when Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. And that makes patriotism surge within us, that liberty is this important. But a thousand years before that, there are people that humanity should recognize. One of them is a jurist and judge whose name is Shuraih ibn al-Harith. And it's a name that I wager no one knows. When Umar ibn al-Khattab was Khalifa, when he was leader of the Muslim nation, he bought a horse from a man. He rode the horse and then thought, this horse is defective, he has a limp. So he returned the horse and he told the man, give me my money. The man told him, no, you, the horse was fine when I sold him to you. And again, compare this to medieval Europe. Would an ordinary citizen talk that way to the king? And Omar said, okay then, name a judge between you and me. He didn't say, I'm going to take your horse, or how dare you, or I'm going to kill you, or cut off your head. So the man said, Shuraih ibn al-Harith. He is known for his piety. So Omar said, okay, send for Shuraih. 
to come judge between us. Gets a message back, Shurayh is telling him that if I come to you, I am already being partial in your favor. You both come to me. And they did. And when he investigated, he said, Commander of the Faithful, when you bought this horse, were you convinced that it was a good horse? He said, yes, I was. You saw no defect? No, I didn't. He said, then you either keep what you bought or you return to the man a good horse. And he judged against Omar ibn al-Khattab. And when Omar saw this, he said, this is how justice should be. I am making you the judge over all of Kufa. And so he had a long and distinguished judgeship. And lo and behold, the days would turn around. And Ali ibn Abi Talib, when he was now the leader of the Muslim empire, would come to him because he lost a shield. And he was walking through the market one day, a shield that was very dear to him, and he saw a merchant, one of the people of the book, not one of the Muslims, selling that shield. And Ali ibn Abi Talib said, that's my shield. And said, no, this is my shield. I, this is, I have this shield. Ali ibn Abi Talib said, it dropped from my camel. I lost it. I don't know exactly when, but I had it, then I lost it. I know it was missing. The man said, no, this is my shield. And again, you are talking to the commander of the empire. So then the man says to Ali ibn Abi Talib, then there's nothing between you and me except the court. So Ali ibn Abi Talib said, fine. They go to the court. The judge is Shuraih ibn al-Harith. He investigates and he says, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, commander of the faithful, I have no doubt that this is your shield. But law has a procedure. You need two witnesses who will swear that they recognize this shield as your shield. So Ali brings two. One of them was one of his uh, servants or helpers. The other one was his son, al Hussein. And the judge tells him, I cannot accept the testimony of a son on behalf of his father. So Ali said, turns to the merchant and he told him, then the shield is yours. I have no second witness. And the merchant tells him, you're wrong. Amir al-Mu'mineen, you're wrong. I am your second witness. I swear that the shield is yours. I cannot believe that this religion would allow me to take you to court and that the judge would rule in my favor, not yours. A religion such as this has to be the path of truth. I bear witness that this is your shield. I was behind the caravan. I saw a drop from your camel. I took it. So do with me what you will. But I bear witness that this is the path that I want to follow. And he converts to Islam. And Ali ibn Abi Talib tell, told him, what I will do with you is I will give you the shield and I will give you my horse. And so I'm not trying to tell you that Islam is different because the, what we say the Magna Carta guaranteed the, the, the rights of the people in Europe in 1295. The Magna Carta guaranteed the rights of nobles against the king. Ordinary citizens, peasants, serfs, had no rights against the nobles or the king. 
But I'm not here to tell you that Islam is different because in Islam, the ordinary citizens and the peasants had rights against the nobles and the king. I'm here to tell you that it was different because there were no nobles and there were no kings. And we need to remember and we need to remind and we need to revive and we need to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us in that endeavor. Allahumma ja'al al-Qur'ana shifa'an nusudurina wa rabi'a qulubina wa manba'a imanina wa zakatan nufusina wa nura quburina. Allah, God, please make the Qur'an a healing of what is in our hearts and a spring of our faith and the light of our graves and an intercession for us on the day that we stand before you and a blessing for us and our children and our society and our nation insha'Allah ya rabbal alameen aqam as-salah